I guess my first thoughts and feelings were, oh, wow, am I, <laughs> am I just not worth the same amount of money? Also, I remember thinking maybe there's a confidence gap. Like the gap for me is that the gap is on my side that I don't really have that level of confidence that they do. And That's Rabina. She's a female entrepreneur. Welcome to a very special two-part series in honor of Women's History Month. Hi, I'm Darby Masters, and you're listening to the I Make a Living podcast. Being a woman in the small business world isn't easy. I should know. I am one. Even if you don't self-identify as a woman, because of recent media movements, you can probably gather that it's not exactly a walk in the park for us. There's been a shift on a large scale in society recently. The Me Too and Time's Up movements have brought some incredible awareness to the issues of inequality through mass media. It's no longer taboo to discuss experiences. There's power behind the voices that speak up. But these developments are relatively new when you think about it. We've seen some slight progression for gender equality over the last few decades, but we're still very much in the midst of the fight. Let's take a walk down memory lane. It was in 1920 that white women were granted the right to vote but not until 1960 that black women were granted that same right. And three years later, the Equal Pay Act was passed, followed by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in 1968, where women had the same access to job listings as men. The first step for financial freedom for women began in the 70s. In 1974, women were legally allowed to get a credit card under their own name, rather than under their husband's name. In 1978, women could no longer be fired for being pregnant. And just 10 years ago, women were given the right to officially file a complaint against their employer for payment discrimination, not being paid the same amount as their male counterparts. This isn't ancient history. It's recent history. No wonder the culture has had a hard time keeping up with maintaining the ideologies of equality. It's all good and right when we talk about it, but putting it into practice, mm, that's a bit harder. Even though women can choose their own rates as entrepreneurs— there's still a 28% wage gap in the small business world. And Rabina shares some insights on that through her personal experience. When I started out, I was asked to, what's your hourly rate? Which is typical for freelancers to offer that up. But when I started, I started out really, you know, just kind of hopeful that people would say yes. And so just putting out my hourly rate and then over the course of the last three years, hearing my male counterparts also putting out their hourly rates and they were you know, if not twice, three times more than what I was comfortable going out with. And so I think now in hindsight, I wish I <laughs> I wish I had more mentorship and direction available to me. So Rabina charged less because she needed to be employed. Like she said, she just wanted them to say yes. And being your own boss doesn't mean you won't face gender biases. 34% of women have experienced gender discrimination while self-employed from 2007 to 2015, I took whatever salary was offered rather than asking for a particular salary. And so I think that from what I've read, I understand that, you know, women don't often negotiate, you know, and they're much less likely to negotiate for a higher salary than their male counterparts. And so I think that's a miss on my part to have sort of lived that stat and be that stat. This was before she started her own business. So like many women, the first experiences we have in the working world 
before we become entrepreneurs, has set the bar pretty low. We're taught to take what we're offered with gratitude because an offer, any offer, is a huge accomplishment. So not only are we working against how society sees us, but we're also working against how we've been conditioned to see ourselves. I think the biggest challenge for being a female in this world now, and I would say from the perspective of a entrepreneur and freelancer is um, being aware of the biases that are there and knowing how to sort of just move through them in a way that is organic to you and feels natural. 30% of women believe they are not taken as seriously as their male peers, and 30% also believe that they have to work harder than men who do the same work. I'm of Indian descent, and so I often look, people think I'm much younger than I am. They often guess that I'm in my early 20s when I'm actually in my mid-30s. And so that respect is hard to then build up with people. So how can women set themselves up for success in a world that not only feels daunting, but statistically is more difficult for them? And how can you, however you identify, be an advocate? I'm Kathleen Hart. I help women earn more. Kathleen is basically a career coach who helps women learn how to negotiate the salaries they deserve. As I mentioned before, the wage gap is still a major issue in the working world. She gives us a little bit of insight on possible reasons why the gap continues to persist among self-employed women, too. So I think when we think about the wage gap for entrepreneurs, one of the reasons that often comes up is that women may feel like they have to charge less than their male counterparts in order to get clients. But I like to help women especially zero in on why do they think they have to charge less in order to get clients. One thing I always talk about is how we negotiate against ourselves before the negotiation has even begun. So an example might be, hey, you're a freelancer and you have, you know, a rate of $200 per project and you're starting to work with this new person. You're like, ooh, that 200, that's probably going to be a little bit more than what they want to do. So let's just start the conversation at 150. Already you've negotiated against yourself before that conversation has even begun. And so we will doubt ourselves and backpedal. One way that I would encourage anybody when they think, okay, maybe I'm charging too low, is that if you're already having that thought within yourself, chances are you probably are. I'm guilty of this. I don't want to lose a client. So I make an offer that will not only be acceptable, but will make me appear non-aggressive. I do it. I know I do it, but I rarely dissect the reasons why I do it. Often when we think about increasing our prices or just charging in general what we're worth, we're worried that we're going to be left out. We're worried that we're not going to have business. We're worried that people are going to think poorly of us. We're worried that, you know, say as a business owner, you're going to go have to go back to the nine to five world. You are worried that all of your family who's known about the work that you're doing, now you suddenly are seen as a failure, in at least in your mind. Um, you're worried that your customers may eventually just fall away and and think illly upon you. So there's so many of these worries and fears that bubble up around pricing because pricing is directly related to our value. And when we're shaky in our value, we're shaky in how we sell. If our value is directly related to our pricing, by definition, that means we're selling our value short. Honestly, I don't really struggle with self-respect and I'm quite a confident person. Yet, I still do this. There's a lot more at play here, and I think Kathleen hits on it quite nicely. 
you know, I think one interesting thing to be aware of is, you know, what were the things that you saw growing up? Um, magazines that we have, right? And the images that we see. And so for men, it's all about having a stronger body, but it's more so that I get the prize. Whereas for women, they are the prize. So how can I make myself look like a better prize? And so we're so focused on how can we be perfect? How can we be perfect? And that bleeds into how we do our work. Even, um, you know, studies have shown that women by and far feel like they need to go back to grad school, right, in order to be qualified. Whereas men might say, ah, I don't really need to go do that. I'll just go ahead and start on my own. So why do we feel like we need to do that? You know, it, it may be images. It may be something that you were taught. Men shoot for the prize while women, they are the prize. These are the images we're fed from childhood. Those are some pretty different scripts that men and women are given. No wonder they react very differently in the working world. There's a lot more to the wage gap than just men make more money than women. Think about how our culture has conditioned us to view ourselves. The wage gap, in light of this, honestly, it makes sense. If you take up space, what are the immediate feelings that come up in your head? Like, oh, am I, you know, am I not being kind enough? Are these people judging me? What? So any of those immediate thoughts that come up when you take up space, when you advocate for yourself, or like I said, when you hear other people doing it, do you think, oh, that, I mean, oh my gosh, can you look at that girl? I can't believe that. So if you have those judging thoughts towards her, imagine what are the judging thoughts that you have towards yourself if you were going to do the same thing. Whereas if we look at a guy, like, I'm like, oh, respect. So how can I get to the place where you say that to other women? You know, we have to get to that same place where we say, wow, respect. You know, they're running their business like a business. I I really appreciate that value that. And there's something I can learn from what they're doing, whether it's a guy or another woman. Men and women need to start rewriting the scripts they were given as children. As a human, however you identify, it's okay to take up space. Advocate for yourself. I love where our society is going. I love it. And whenever we see kind of what may seem like setbacks, I think that it's only shining the light further on the tension that may have already been there in terms of how women are perceived and the fact that we need to keep going. One of the things that I love about where we're going right now, not only with women business owners, but also women in the media, is the representation of strong strong, independent women. And I don't mean independent as if I don't need anybody. I don't think that that's true independence, but it's that I alone am good enough. I think that that is so beautiful. And the more that we have those role models, both as business owners and the media, the more that we as women who are just starting off, we're starting to grow, can continue to believe that we can do it as well. Because for so long, our images have been about the nurturers, the caregivers, the mothers, and those are all amazing people, but those are all about others and not yourself. And I think as we continue to see women who see their value, not just in the work that they do and how they serve others, but just their inherent value. Kathleen has given us some pretty insightful information on the wage gap. The ways women can advocate for themselves starts with recognizing their own value. How can you price yourself at a deserving rate if you don't believe you're deserving of that amount? Now, if you want to find out more information about Kathleen and her coaching services, you can go to BeBraveGetPaid.com.
Although we've just gone through many ways that women can rethink how they view themselves and their worth, I'd like to highlight that this whole conversation is not an issue for women to quote-unquote handle. It's a problem that all people should work to reconcile. Because it's not an isolated issue. How can we bridge the wage gap? It's the cultural foundation of our society that we need to dismantle so that the current and future generations of all women are not only paid the same, but will holistically thrive. Movements for this dismantling includes action from people who have power in our society. Men. I am a man, and I am a feminist. At least I like to think that I'm the latter part of that statement. That's Paco Mendy, the co-producer of this podcast. While researching for this topic, we were torn with whether or not to have a man on the episode where we were featuring all women. I mean, it is Women's History Month, after all. But in the end... We agreed that it was very helpful since it would only benefit the fight for equality if more men were on board. So, here's Paco. I also know as a man, I may never fully understand. Which isn't an excuse, it's a statement that I get it wrong sometimes, and I have to be willing to admit that. But as much as my gender hinders my understanding of this conversation, I recognize that it also holds a lot of power, and I think it's important to address how that power can be used to further the pursuit of equality. So, I am having a conversation with Rachel Wynn, who is a self-proclaimed feminist, on how men can use their voice and their actions to be allies in the self-employed world and in life. I'm really happy to sort of get the sense that male feminism is becoming more and more prevalent in our society. And I guess I'm going to catch myself right there because even the term male feminism is kind of problematic because men can be feminists as well. Like, it's not like I say I'm a female feminist. So I think that feminism in general is kind of on the rise, especially with the kind of current political climate. I think that's creating a lot of people who are re-examining their values and what they believe in and what they think is important. So I do think that when you say that you're a feminist, that that means that you're doing more than just wearing a shirt that says, like, feminist whatever. Sure. We read about everything coming up in the media, and it's painfully obvious that there are still a lot of men who are not anywhere near where they should be in understanding and behaving in an inclusive way. And like Rachel said, we can't just go around wearing our feminist t-shirt just to make a point. We need to take action, action that we can incorporate into our day-to-day interactions. So are you supporting women in the workplace? Are you helping to make sure that women's voices are heard? It's kind of being that person to say, hey, I don't think Erica was finished getting her point across. Erica, did you want to add to what you're just saying? It's being that guy. It's being the guy to like speak up and say something. It's saying, hey, no, that's not really how we talk about women, especially not at work. Can you not say that? Or, I mean, one of my favorites, because it's kind of related to invisible labor, is like something like, hey, I've noticed that note-taking during our meeting seems to fall pretty often on women. Can we change that? Do you want me to make a schedule rotation for note-taking or something like that? It's just kind of calling out these very, very small behaviors that are damaging towards women in different ways. So I think it's really just using their voice and saying like, you know, actually, I think Wanda has got a big deadline coming up. So actually, Joe, could you be the one to coordinate everyone signing Sam's birthday card? Like it's just being aware and listening, but also speaking up. It is true. 
a lot of these interactions are damaging and in recognizing them and trying to address them, we are lifting the role of women in our workplace to favor an environment where they feel on the same level as their male counterparts. You don't need to stop being a man or being masculine just to be a feminist, but you should have the awareness that certain behaviors can portray toxic masculinity, which can be to the detriment of females. So I think there is a big, big difference between the two. And I, I think it's fine to be masculine, but when you're using your masculinity and your sort of weight in society in a way that is pushing down others, whether it's based on race, whether it's based on gender, I think that's where it really becomes an issue and becomes that toxic kind of environment. It could be something as simple as walking past your coworker's desk and like patting their shoulder as you walk by. Like I have friends who have been in jobs in that situation and it's just, they might not see that as toxic kind of behavior, but I mean, that's just not okay in the workplace. Like consent is key, especially nowadays. Like you need to ask consent before touching anyone because that's what you should do. But it's tricky because if it's something where that person maybe is a subordinate to the person who keeps brushing her shoulder or or patting her back or whatever, that's going to be where it's really tricky because they might feel their job is in jeopardy. I mean, that's why I feel like toxic masculinity is so insidious is that it's sometimes not very visible and the kind of after effects are what the woman has to deal with. I also ask Rachel some advice for people in positions of power, like CEOs or business owners or managers, what they can do to create an environment that is inclusive and reflective of a feminist culture within the workspace. I would say that it would be making sure that the fellow leadership around you has representation in terms of race and gender. I think a big thing when it comes down to feminism is intersectionality, which I know that you're going to be talking about in another episode, but making sure to recognize the different aspects of feminism that are important. So making sure that folks are not only represented in your leadership in terms of age, but also gender, in terms of race, in terms of physical ability. It's trying to make as diverse a leadership team as possible so that you can actually truly reflect the people that you're leading. I think another great idea is if I were CEO of a really large company, I would mandate a maternity and paternity leave. So I wouldn't give men the option of not taking paternity leave because I think a lot of the kind of reasons maybe that men don't take it is because they worry about their status at the company or they worry about the perception of the fact that they're taking time off to go raise their child. So I think that having a mandatory paternity and maternity would help ease that stress and that burden a lot. So I would implement policies like that. Um, a final thing that I would try to come up with, and I'd probably actually do a survey and say, what are the activities that you're doing in your day-to-day that are not in your job description? So I think that more likely than not, women would respond to that with a lot more information. Like, you know, I'm always the one taking notes in meetings, and that's not fair because I feel like I'm, if I'm taking notes, I can't share what I'm thinking because I'm multitasking or I'm like someone might say like I'm really sick of being the one to always have to go pick out a cake for like the monthly birthday celebration things like that so I think that I would ask for some of those kind of things that you're doing that you're not being recognized for or that aren't sort of in your job description taking that list and then figuring out where and who that can fall to, whether it's hiring an office coordinator to be in charge of all that kind of stuff or just delegating that to the more appropriate person. I think that's something that could really help a lot. In an effort to highlight the importance of equality in the workplace or in our day-to-day interactions, 
what are some of the conversations we can have amongst men? How can we sway the narrative to bring awareness to this issue? So I think that a way that you can really encourage more participation among your friends and colleagues is, again, just to kind of talk about it. I think that a really, really, really helpful tool is a comic by a French cartoonist who goes by Emma. And she wrote this amazing comic called You Should Have Asked. And it's all about invisible labor. And I feel like the fact that it's a comic and the fact that it's very kind of straightforward, easy to understand, but most important, not blaming men, I think is a really good way to start that conversation around invisible labor. So maybe it could look like, hey, like, have you heard about all this stuff about emotional labor and invisible labor and like the news or like has your, you know, girlfriend or your wife or partner like talked about it with you? Um, And if they don't know what you're talking about saying like, oh yeah, well, it's like just kind of the disproportionate amount of uh, housework that women tend to do. And like, I read this really interesting comic. Can I share it with you? Maybe it's something that you could talk about with your, you know, wife, partner, girlfriend, whatever. I think when it really comes down to it, it's just communicating and sharing resources because I think that's going to be the biggest way to make kind of an impact on folks. It's not just kind of constantly calling them out all the time on their stupid behavior or some of the things that they're saying. It's not just about that, but also bringing up conversations in a more positive light. Like like it could be as simple as while you guys are at the bar, just being like, Hey, like, how do you guys divide your household work? Is that a conversation that you've had with your person? I think just asking those questions and starting those conversations is the biggest thing that you can do, because I think that would bring up a lot of really interesting answers because maybe they say, yeah, am I partner and I, um, we divvy up our household chores and they're like assigned. And that way we never have to rotate. Someone else might say, wow, I never really thought about that. Like I'm the full-time worker and my wife stays home with the kids. And so I sort of thought that was her job, but it's kind of like having that conversation around, well, is it her job to raise the children and also manage the entire household? That's actually a lot, a lot. That's a lot of work. So I think it's just starting that kind of conversation. And it doesn't have to be always kind of the calling out situation that leads to talking about certain kind of feminist issues. It's more so about just kind of casually being like, hey, what do you think of this? Or like, hey, I, I saw an article on this and just kind of starting those conversations. So I think that's the biggest thing that can be done amongst your friends or your colleagues. Being a feminist is not an adjective or a sentiment. It means action. Daily action that paves the way to create a more inclusive and equalitarian world. Thank you to Rachel Wynn for the insights and everything she shared with us. To learn more about her social media business, go to starlightsocial.com or join her in the feminist conversation at feministfounder.com. This topic, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, both men and women. We knew that going into it, but we thought the issue of equality and equity in the entrepreneurial world was important enough to talk about. According to an American survey done by CBS News and Refinery29 last year, only 38% of women identify as feminists. That number is pretty low, so chances are a good percentage of our listeners aren't advocates of feminism, which I get. For many, the term has some negative connotations. But because men and women are now speaking up, it's also helped a lot of people see the layers of inequality in the world we live in. And one thing that every individual should aim for, self-proclaimed feminist or not, is the equality of all people, no matter their gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religion, age, status, and so on and so forth. 
So even if you don't identify with feminism, hopefully these insights were still helpful and informative. I know it was for Paco and I. We actually had some constructive disagreements and helpful conversations through the production of this episode, which is exactly what Rachel Wynn was talking about. Communication is key in the fight for equality. And making space for people to share their perspective, that's important. So it's not always comfortable, but then again, it's not about comfort. It's about making sure every person is treated with complete dignity and respect. If you'd like to contribute to this conversation, we'd love to hear your thoughts. After all, this topic affects everyone in our society, no matter how you self-identify. Feel free to reach out and share your perspective. Hello, I make a living. My name's Martha McCallum. I knew I wanted to live in the Canadian Rockies from the time I was 16 when I moved here from Montreal. I now have a business called Martha's Heli Hikes and Heli Weddings. And I love that I get to take people up in remote mountain landscapes and either take them hiking or perform their marriage surrounded by beautiful landscape and nature in its wildest form. What's one of my biggest challenges? Well, up until 2019, up until pretty recently, it's been organizing my business bookkeeping. And I really think I don't have that challenge anymore. I'm all set up on fresh books and it's fantastic. Um, What am I most proud of? I think it's that I've had several different um, types of work and I've brought the best parts of all of them together in what I do now. I'm a wildlife biologist. I owned a restaurant. I studied Hakomi mind-body psychotherapy and I'm also a herbalist and yoga teacher. And now I get to bring all of those parts together. I make delicious lunches for my hiking guests and I really enjoy being with people and bringing them somewhere where they can connect sometimes quite deeply with themselves so how can people connect with me I'm on my website is the best way marthasheliheikes.com and please send me an email thanks very much bye-bye today we talked about equality for women Join us next time as we see the place equity has in this conversation, where two women from very different backgrounds share openly about how their experiences influence their fight for gender equality. The I Make a Living podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. To learn more and get an exclusive offer, go to freshbooks.com slash podcast. If you want to attend an event, go to freshbooks.com slash events. A special thanks to the amazing women who contributed to today's episode, Rabina Sheikh, Kathleen Hart, and Rachel Wynn. You can find more information about what all three of these women are doing by going to our show notes. This podcast was made possible because of audio engineering and music composition by James Morris, co-production and direction by Paco Arizmendi. And I'm Darby Masters. Thanks for listening to the I Make a Living podcast. <laughs>